Hi, I'm Deidre. Hi, I'm Nichelle. So I said, Deidre, let's start a podcast. To which I said, have you heard my radio voice? So I said, Deidre, let's start a podcast. And I said, okay. So here we are. Yeah, here we are. Welcome to Recreate Podcast. Hey Johnny, so welcome to the Recreate Podcast. Um, I brought you here to tell your story um, and chat to us a little bit about the man Johnny Miller. Um, So maybe start with that. Can you give us a bit of history and background, where you're from and what you're doing now? Sure. Well, thanks for bringing me here. This is uh, a real pleasure. Um, I'm Johnny. I am a photographer and I'm American originally and I'm 37 years old. So I was uh, born in Maryland and then moved around a lot. Uh, so I moved, I've moved maybe every three or four years my entire life. And when I moved to Cape Town seven years ago, I decided that I wanted to create a home here and I haven't moved since. So actually I've lived in South Africa longer than I've lived anywhere, any other city at least my entire life. Um, but the accent doesn't go away, so. <laughs> Did you study photography or? Sure, yeah. No, I've, um, I'm just hesitating because I have like a long and sort of unconnected path to how I got to where I'm at. So I guess the short version is that I didn't study photography. I graduated um, from college when I was 22 with a political science degree. And I worked in corporate for three years before I decided to leave that world and kind of follow some sort of path that I wanted to create for myself. So it was almost like creating the path as I was walking it. But I knew there was something more (laughs) to my life than just working corporate right out of college. And so long story short, at age 30, maybe 29 actually, I think I was 29, um, I got an internship in Seattle So I was an intern at 29 um, in a video production house, a guy that um, advertised to do video production work. And he wasn't paying me and I learned how to edit and then he started paying me and then I learned how to shoot. And then I learned how to shoot stills. (laughs) And then I moved to South Africa the following year. So everything kind of happened super quick. Um, And then when I came here, I realized I wanted to stay here. I wanted to make a home and that that was my profession or that was the profession I had chosen. Um, so I kept shooting while I was here, um, and I picked up a drone about two years ago and then I started shooting with drones and that, um, seemed to be the trick. That seemed to be the thing that everyone really wanted to see was the drone imagery that I've been producing as far as social awareness and and photography. So the Unequal Scenes Project has been an incredible last and probably not final step, but the last and most recent step in my career and sort of process as a evolving professional. Okay, Johnny, you mentioned um, Unequal Scenes, an African drone. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So African Drone is my organization that I set up um, as an NPO, and we empower drone pilots all over Africa. So it's an African-wide organization of drone pilots and drone professionals. 
And kind of the reason African Drone came to be was because of Unequal Scenes, which is my photo project. And that started two years ago. It's using a drone to look at inequality. So finding the most unequal parts of not just South Africa, but a variety of countries around the world, different cities around the world, and then flying a drone right above those borderlines, basically between rich and poor. Um, and that photo series has been incredibly popular. It's changed my life and led me to do all these other incredible things. Um, it's provided me stability and a reason to um, professionally excel at what I do. Um, yeah, I can't say enough things about it because it's really changed my life. So my life was quite different two years ago than it is now. And it's ongoing as well. So African Drone and Unequal Scenes partner with one another occasionally and sometimes they do separate things. Um, and it's all sort of made possible by a generous fellowship through Code for Africa, which employs me as a news fellow. Do you enjoy what you do and where are you going and what projects are you working on now? So do you maybe want to give us a little bit of an insight of what you're doing right now, what you're working on now and what's the future look like? Uh, yeah, so I'm still working with uh, Unequal Scenes quite a bit. So I'm about to fly to Europe tomorrow and um, present Unequal Scenes to a bunch of journalists and artists in Cologne and Bonn. So that takes up a lot of my time literally is traveling and exhibiting my work. Um, there are some new photo projects that I've got in the works, including one here in South Africa on hostels. So like the way that hostels look from the air. And um, yeah, a variety of portrait projects because portraiture is kind of like my original love as far as what I, how I photograph things. Um, and African Drone just signed a big contract with the World Bank and we're gonna be partnered with them um, for 2019, which is cool. So that's my professional sort of um, responsibilities, I guess I can say for the next six to eight months. Um, really what I do is kind of come up with cool ideas and then try to find funding to make those happen. And so I'm not also limited to just that amount of things that I'm gonna do. I'm at, I run African Drone, so I'm kind of at a point where I can come up with what we do in a creative sense as well. And so it's exciting. It's a lot of responsibility as well, you know, to make sure that people keep sharing and liking the stories and funding our organization, etc. But um, is the most stressful part of your job? Hmm. Um, I think the most stressful part of being at the helm of an organization is the idea that if you don't keep innovating and you don't keep doing what you do that got you to that point, then the whole organization falls apart. And so with Unequal Scenes and with any other personal photography projects, that isn't such a concern because it's just me and I'm the only person taking the photos. And like, if I wanna stop doing it, who cares, right? And ultimately it's just me that's affected. But this is the first time that I've run a business and African Drone is a business and I employ people. I employ one person and we're about to employ two more people. So the idea that now four people are responsible for me, or I'm responsible for four people, I should say, um, adds a layer of responsibility that sometimes gets in the way of creativity. So I'm starting to realize the importance now of having an operations officer 
on board who can run the day-to-day activities of an organization and then like a role for myself which i suppose would be more like ceo where i can be free to strategically or creatively i imagine ideas of how we can move forward mm-hmm. without getting sort of lost in the pressure of keeping the business running every day if that makes sense and back in the back in the day when especially when i was younger i would think that that was kind of this fluffy way of like making yourself feel good as a ceo that you could then hire people to do the dirty work that you didn't want to do yourself but i'm more and more realizing now that that's it's not fluff and it's not about someone's more important than someone else it's about there's clear roles that need to be filled in any business and the person who's the CEO or that type of role needs to have certain things in place to be able to do his role most effectively. You know, sometimes I need to realize like maybe I don't need to be so hard on myself either. And I'll tell you a little example. I was at this award ceremony, I think it was November last year, October last year, so October 2017. And there was the National Geographer National Geographic Director of Photography, her name's Sarah Lean. She was there and it was a portfolio review which meant that you came and you showed her your photographs. There was a bunch of other reviewers, but she was the one that I chose. You show her your photographs and she tells you this is good, this isn't so good, like this is really good. National Geographic should print this. And what I had done is I had printed out in South Africa my unequal scenes images, but then I also printed out another photo series called Whip Snaps that I did because I wanted to be able to show Sarah Lean that I could do more than just be a drone photographer. And so I took my portfolio there. I sat down just like I'm sitting next to you across the table, put my big box of photos, opened it up, took out whip snaps, and immediately she said, "What's this?" She's like, "What am I looking at?" Like very curt, like yeah. I don't have a lot of time. She literally like she didn't take the photos and push them off the table, but she kind of like slid them with her hand and she's like, "Let me see the aerial photos." <laughs> and so I very quickly learned that like Maybe it's not such a big deal to have a project that everyone loves, right? Not maybe it's not such a big deal to be a one-hit wonder because it's only been 2 years, right? One-hit wonders maybe that's like 10 or 20 years down the road if I haven't done anything, but maybe right now I should just focus on what everyone wants to see and what I can do really really well, which are these aerial images of inequality. And I put those in front of her and she immediately lit up and she's like, "You do this better than anyone else is doing this right now." Like, this is the image that we're going to run in the magazine. and that was i mean it's a it was a dream of mine always to be a national geographic photographer like be in the magazine and she made that happen so that was like a really big moment for me but it was also a big moment learning that i don't have to constantly be worried about reinventing myself either you know i can it can evolve right it, it can evolve it can it it can and also you have to choose the right time to evolve as well like yeah. It doesn't mean that it can't evolve. Maybe it just doesn't need to evolve in front of Sarah Lean. Yeah, but it's also still growing, right? Like it's not like yeah, it's at its peak. It's still peaking. It's peaking, so, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, why would you want to stop it now? Well, then I started looking at other really famous photographers. Like, um, do you know Sebastian Salgado? No. He's a Brazilian photographer. He had this amazing. photo and initial photo series on uh gold miners artisanal gold miners in Brazil 
the photo is the classic photo is a guy who's like resting against a cross or something kind of looks like Jesus but then there's like this incredible tableau behind him of like all these people carrying heavy sacks of earth up on their backs in this muddy gold mine pit in Brazil it's a very famous photo and I looked into his history he's only done I think like five or six big photo let's call them um essays really and they took him a long time like the gold miners one took him three four five years and then he had further subsequent series but you know humans only last for so long creatively right so he had like a 30 or 40 year career and he had like five six seven different photo essays it's not very many yeah. and i started thinking like sebastian Salgado is considered like one of the gods of documentary photojournalism like but he only has five or six projects. Like maybe I shouldn't be too worried that I need to have one every year or something like that. I mean, that's quite unrealistic anyways. Like, so it just kind of took the pressure off to some extent. Johnny, what do you perceive success to be? I perceive success to be the um, situation that happens when you're 80 years old and you're in a rocking chair and you look back on your entire life and it makes you feel like you did what you were supposed to do. And you did it authentically. So let me modify that. that you, you did what you were supposed to do authentically. But I think authentically is a big part of that because to have said that I've made my own decisions, I've followed my own path through life, which doesn't mean, you know, not paying attention to realities like needing to pay rent or needing to pay for hospital bills or whatever, but just that you did them on your own terms and that you're happy and satisfied with those decisions. That to me is success. I think there's an undeniable fear that everyone has. It's very rational. I also have it that's running out of money or not having enough money when you get older um, is a problem and it is a problem. And I don't want to minimize the reality of needing money to live the way that I want to live at least comfortably in this life, which means I don't want for food. I don't want for accommodation. I don't want for travel. I don't have many expensive tastes, but those three things are really important to me. And success then would hinge in part upon whether I had enough money to be able to not have to think and really stress too much about a budget to cover those three things. And I would imagine that my thoughts on this would even involve evolve further once I have a family. Do you have any other hobbies and interests that people might not know about you? Is there, some, like, apart from photography, like, who, who is Johnny? What do you enjoy doing when you're not taking photos? Honestly, I think I've become much less interesting as I've gotten older. I hate to say it. I was reading some of my old journals, and when I was, like, 22 to 25, I was so interesting. I would, like, write about things that I had done during the day, and I was just like, wow, really? You went to like a Chinese intro class, an intro to Chinese language, and you like went to a ceramics class and tried pottery. Like, I don't know. I have, I know what the things are that recharge my batteries. And I do less things outside of those recharging activities now, which involve going to the gym and 
that's the climbing gym, although I climb a lot less now, but I still go there and monkey around on the climbing wall and like just actually being in the climbing gym makes me feel like kind of a kid when I get to take off my shoes and you're on those spongy mats and it just makes me feel like I have nothing else to do but be there in that moment. That's really important to me. Um, surfing and being on the mountain. Surfing because of the way the ocean makes me feel, which is small and comforted, and the way the mountain makes me feel, which is important and on top of everything. Um, and then, I don't know, hanging out with my dog. <laughs> Sounds so boring. Now you have the best dog. <laughs> I know. I do have a really good dog. Um, I've been reading a lot lately, so I read every night. Um, and I literally have like a routine where I'll go to the gym or I'll go surf or I'll go hike on the mountain during the week. And then on the weekends, I also really, really enjoy riding my motorcycle. So I'll ride that sometimes for a long way or go hike on the mountain or go surf. Do you have any recommendations as far as like local music, local restaurants, something that you really love that you could definitely recommend to people? Yeah, be it a place, a musician, an artist, a book, whatever. Mm. And it has to be local? Well, actually do both then. Do okay. you have something local? And then also if it's something that's not... Tell us about it. The intellectual um, part of me needs to be creatively inspired with visual mediums like film and photography and photo books. Um, that's how I get inspiration for my photo projects. Maps obviously are a big one to me based on what I do. Um, and so I guess I'm a visual learner. So that means that like bookstores and specifically like art bookstores are really important places to me to just wander around and browse, honestly. And there's um, not a ton of great ones in Cape Town. Um, if anyone ever goes to London who's reading this, the Tate Modern has an incredible art bookstore. And actually, I've found a lot of inspiration through some of the books that I've bought at the Tate Modern Bookstore, including one guy who, um, I actually can't remember his name off the top of my head now, but he's taken really large formats, um, still images that he's then stitched together, of a glacier, by the way, and he stitched them together in a mapping software. And then the mapping software has created these like points, so it's called a point cloud. And then he's taken that point cloud and made artwork out of it. And it's just a fresh, interesting, weird, sort of futuristic way of looking at things like um, the environments that I've taken a lot of inspiration from looking at his stuff. Unequal Scenes was in part inspired by a guy who took census data and then visually represented it with dots. This guy, Adrian Frith, he's a South African guy, made a dot map, clickable dot map of South Africa with little dots that represent different people's races, different people's incomes. Uh, visually, it looks beautiful, and that kind of inspired unequal scenes to some extent. But for non-intellectual and maybe a more emotional state of inspiration, I would highly recommend people, and the weird thing is we live in Cape Town, but I get the sense that the majority of people in Cape Town don't actually engage as much with the mountain and the ocean as I would expect. Like, I oftentimes run into people, and I'm like, when was the last time you were on Table Mountain? And they can't give me a date. Like it's been years for some of them. 
even to go up in the cable car to the top. Like that to me, even if you're not a hiker, is literally a breath of fresh air. It is literally, literally a rarefied place where you can contemplate your small insignificant existence vis-a-vis -vis the earth, vis-a-vis -vis the city below you, vis-a-vis -vis, like this beautiful natural formation. And to me, it's like church actually, because I'm not a religious person, but I probably get the same feeling of going to Table Mountain as I get if I were to go to church as a religious person. And so that's what I would recommend people just trying it out. Um, try out just going into the woods and not hearing anyone for a while and see how you feel. Okay, Johnny, I'm going to ask you some really difficult questions now. Jeez, okay, now yeah, they start. Now they okay, start, cool. okay. Wine or beer? Beer. Pizza or burgers? Pizza, definitely. Um, tea or coffee? Coffee, definitely. God, I feel like such a uh, chav. <laughs> but it's true. I just can't imagine a world where I would need to pretentiously only order wine at a restaurant. I could never enjoy a beer, you know, like after climbing or something. Same thing with coffee. <laughs> Um, if you could choose one of the following superpowers, flight or invisibility? Um, I'll tell you why I choose flight, and it's because I had this conversation last night about what level of confidence I am at in my life. And I said that I was, so zero out of 10, I said that I was at an internal six out of 10 as far as my confidence. So I don't feel like I'm actually that confident. I feel like I'm like average confidence internally, but then externally I've learned to seem really confident. And I think some people think I'm conceited because of that, but like I just find it easy to get up in front of people and like talk about myself because I have to do it first of all, but also it, I don't know, it just kind of comes easily to me. But that doesn't mean I'm actually confident, which means that flight, I think, would be able to externalize this false confidence even more so that people would say, oh my God, this guy, like, he's flying around the world, saving women out of burning buildings. Like, we should go get him to talk about unequal so scenes at our art would, exhibition. Is that what you would do? Well, I mean, hold on, what are you doing as, if you're invisible? Well, That's you... just a creepy super skill. And what are you doing, peeking at girls in the shower? <laughs> well, Lurk, can... lurking in shadows i mean like opening doors and people ask why is the door open close it behind you and someone says i never opened the door and then there's a cold <laughs> wind on the back of your neck because he's breathing right behind you i think being invisible would be really strange and creepy so no i'd much rather have someone know what i'm up to at any point plus then people would report on you it'd be fun Cool. It'd be like Santa Spotter. In I'm absolutely with you. Yeah, do you have Santa Spotter in South Africa? No, it is Santa Spotter. Oh, in America at Christmas Eve, there's always Santa Spotter. So you turn on the news, like the 10 o'clock news, and they're like, Santa was spotted two hours east. <laughs> he's got, right now he's in Denver, and he's coming for Seattle. He'll be here at 12 o'clock midnight. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and they'd have a little fake radar with like a sleigh and Santa on it, with like the green and black radar look. <laughs> That's what I would be. They'd be like, where's Johnny? He's flying around right now. It's two hours west of you. He's cool. coming. I like that. Prepare. <laughs> <laughs> well, Johnny, I think um, one, one more question and then I think we're Let's do good. It. Yeah. If you had a rather large budget mm -hmm. and you could spend it on a big party, 
what would that party look like? Your budget is like in this. Number one would be inviting all of the friends that I have all across the world who have ever made an impact on my life, of which there's many dozens. Um, there's some key ones that I see very, very seldom. And then there's a whole bunch of supporting characters that um, have made me who I am. And I'd invite them all to a party and make sure that there's plenty of alcohol to make sure that they're not bored with coming to a party just for the fact that they could then talk about me. I think that'd be ridiculous and no one would come so you'd have to get them really drunk in order to get them to come. And probably fly them first class because a lot of people have flown first class and then that would be like the incentive to get them to South Africa. And then have them all sort of like hang out and I'd hang out with them and then I'd realize like we're all big one happy family and then we would all probably um, go skinny dipping in the ocean together. <laughs> that would be like my perfect party and everyone can meet my dog as well. I like it. Yeah, because very few of my friends have met Lion, and Lion's a big part of my life. He's like my baby. So, yeah, it's, I would like to show off Lion to my friends and family. That's what I would do. Thanks again, Johnny. Like always, a pleasure to see you. Find out more on Johnny and his projects at unequalscenes.com or Facebook and Twitter at unequalscenes. I am Daedri, and this is the We Create Podcast. Thank you for listening.